Hey guys, good morning. Uh, if we can, let's open up our Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. And as you guys are t- turning to Jonah chapter 4, I'd like to dismiss our kids to our children's ministry. So kids, thank you for being with us and joining us here today. So once again, we'll be in Jonah chapter 4, page 775. And if you guys need a Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers would love to hand you guys uh, a Bible here. Once again, Jonah chapter 4, page 775 in the church uh, Bibles. My name is Kenson. I have the honor of being a pastor here at Park, specifically our Bridgeport location. So always a joy uh, to be with you guys. Now as you guys are turning to Jonah chapter 4, I want to let you guys know that today we wrap up our sermon series in Jonah. So just to recap you guys on what's happened so far. That in chapter 1, God calls Jonah a prophet to the city of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were violent people. They were known for the viciousness and bloodshed that they were evil people. So when Jonah hears this call from God, he looks to God and says, peace out, I'm I'm done. So Jonah disobeys, he takes a one-way trip in the total opposite direction of where God was calling him. And let me just show you a map of what this would have looked like here. Once again, Jonah's at yellow, he's supposed to go over to Iraq on my left-hand side. Instead, he goes the complete opposite way, over a thousand miles. This was a one-way trip. He is thinking the whole time, I'm going to run from God and his calling. But God sends a vicious storm his way. And it becomes clear that God is coming for Jonah. He confesses his sin to the sailors. And the sailors reluctantly toss Jonah overboard. And the sea immediately calms. And as Jonah sinks deeper and deeper into the waters, God sends a great fish to save him. And then in chapter 2, you know, as Jonah is sitting in this big fish here, he begins the journey of repentance and he realizes that he is no match for God's grace. So after three days, the, the big fish vomits him out and Jonah takes the long and hard journey to Nineveh in chapter 3. That he preaches the shortest message known to man. In chapter 3, verse 4, he basically says, Nineveh, in 40 days, you will burn. That's basically it, drops the mic and walks away, okay. And the most amazing thing happens. The city experiences possibly the largest revival ever in human history. 120,000 people repent. You know, and I was really convicted by what Rafe said last week when he preached on this chapter. That he said that if you want to see revival happen, it always just starts with one step. With just one step. That's a good word. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into where we're at today in chapter 4. And let me just read all the verses here for us. Chapter 4, starting at verse 1 here. And it says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my, take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But the dawn came the next day. God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. 
when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, left, and also much cattle. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we pray now that as we hear from your word, that God, that we would delight in your word, that we would obey your word, that we will let the Holy Spirit transform us through your word. God, and I pray, Lord, for myself as always, that God, that I would be put to the side and Christ would be exalted. And friends, before I close this in prayer, would you say this to God? Father, help me to have a compassion like yours. Would you say that to him right now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, a few years ago, I had a chance to meet one of the heroes of my faith, uh, Dr. John Perkins. Let me just show you a picture of this moment. I kind of geeked out when I had a chance to meet him at a conference. Uh, he's the founder of the Christian uh, Community Development Association and the author of numerous books. That he has spent decades of his life being a leading voice about, around race and reconciliation. Now, a little bit about Dr. Perkins here. He was born in 1930 in Mississippi during a time of explicit and violent racism. And as a teen, he watched as the white town marshal murdered his older brother, brother who was coming back from the army. And after that horror, his family all moved to California, promising never to return to Mississippi. So John builds a life in California. He has a family. And it wasn't until he has a son who invited him to church that Dr. John Perkins finally understand his need for a savior. And it wasn't long after that that he feel also God calling him back to Mississippi. So in June of 1960, he went back home and started fighting for civil rights. That he started going back to make right all the things that were so wrong. But one night, he was detained by police officers who arrested him on false charges because these police officers resented the fact that he was in town and for the civil rights work that he was doing. So later that night, they ridiculed him, spit in his face, and they beat him repeatedly throughout the entire night. Thankfully, by the next morning, he was able to get out. And you would think that as soon as he got out, that nothing but hate would be in his heart for the sin that he faced in front of these police officers. That he would be angry and vengeful towards him. No, quite the opposite. He grew in compassion. He wrote this in his biography. Let me read it to you here. They were like savages. Hate did that to them. But you know, I couldn't hate back. I could only pity them. Jesus' enemies hated him. But Jesus forgave them. As much as I wanted to hate them, I couldn't get away from Jesus' example. The Spirit of God kept working on me and in me until I could say with Jesus, I forgive them too. In the face of incredible sin, John Perkins chose compassion. Friends, how would our lives look different 
if we chose to live with this deep compassion for those around us, especially for those who don't know and follow God. You know, today we're in chapter 4 here, and this is a story of contrast. That the two major characters that we have here is that first we have God, and we see here that his heart is filled with compassion for sinners. And then you have Jonah, whose heart is filled with anger. In verse 1 here, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, why was Jonah angry? It's because he knew that God was compassionate towards sinners. Verse 2, second half. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. God, this is why I ran away from you. Because I knew you were a gracious God and merciful. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And relenting from disaster here, okay. Notice here, Jonah has great theology, but a really bad heart. Now, it's not wrong for Jonah to have anger, okay. The Bible teaches that, that in your anger, do not sin. So being angry is fine if it's the same thing. That angers God. But Jonah is wrong here because he is angry over something that makes God's heart very glad. The saving of souls. This is why God says to Jonah in verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah, in your anger, are you right? Is this godly? Is it driven by compassion? And notice, Jonah never answers the question. Because he knows he's wrong, but he doesn't care. He's angry. He would rather die in protest than admit that this revival that's going on in Nineveh is a good thing. Jonah's heart was filled with anger. His hurt has now turned to hate. But it's in this very same story, what these very same people God responds with an opposite heart. Verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh? God has compassion and sorrow for them. Now, this does not mean that God has given, a, given them a pass for their sins. Okay, no, that has not happened here, okay. The very fact that God has sent a prophet to them and given them a deadline of 40 days to repent shows us just how serious God was taking their sins. That if Nineveh did not repent, God would lay this city to waste. His holiness demands it. That God right now is not winking at their sin. And it's at this point, God and Jonah, they are in absolute total agreement with each other. But this is where Jonah and God are different. In Jonah's anger towards sinners, he wants vengeance. In God's anger towards sinners, he wants repentance. God in this conversation with Jonah, when God gives us this book of Jonah here, is to show us what kind of heart we are to have for the lost. To show us what it means to have deep compassion. You know, so with that, I want to help us see three different pictures of compassion in our verses. And here are the three points. Let me show it to you. First is God's compassion. Second is Jonah's lack of compassion. And thirdly is Jesus' compassion. So first is this. It's God's compassion. We see it here in verse 11 that this is what motivates God's heart. In verse 11, God says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, left and also much cattle. God right now is saying to Jonah, my heart is broken for the condition of these people who don't know me. And we see this in at least two ways in what he says here. 
First, we see God's heartbrokenness and how he mentions the size of the city. He knows that there are 120,000 people who call Nineveh home. And that was huge because back in those days, an average city had about 3,000 people. So this would have been a mega city. This would have been New York on steroids. And when God looks out to the city, he has pity on them. And this word pity means more than just feeling sorry for them. But biblical pity, biblical compassion meant that he agonized over these people. That he wanted to do everything he could to alleviate the suffering of these people. That for God, the need in front of him was way too great to not do anything. And if I can just say, and we saw this in the video, this is why for us here at Park, that the city is our mission field. It's not because God loves cities more than suburbs or rural areas, okay. Wherever there's people, God... God's people must go, gospel preaching churches must be planted. But the reason we commit ourselves to the city is because of the incredible need here. That millions upon millions of people are moving to cities every month. Where should churches be moving to? To the city. That the poverty and injustice and violence, we see this in every part of the world. Every part of the world we see poverty and injustice. But it's in the city where it's most widespread and severe. That it's in the city these issues are the darkest. And it's in the city the church can shine its brightest. There's great need here in the city. God sees their size. And secondly, God also sees their lostness. That God says that these are people who do not know their right hand from their left. What God is doing here is saying in a very Hebraic way of the spiritual condition of these people. That they're lost, they're blind, and they're spiritually ignorant. And God doesn't say, you know Nineveh, figure it out. You know, you're on your own, you're beyond hope. No. God is a good father who is patient with them and longs for them to come to him for help. That God here doesn't just see the size of the city, but he knows each of their spiritual journeys. He knows what sin has done to them. And he knows just how desperate the situation is. Because if nothing changes in this city, all of them will be condemned for all eternity. And I know that for some of us here, this is a particularly hard teaching to receive. That there's actually a place like hell. That there's a place of eternal separation from God. And it's this truth that makes it really hard to believe that there is actually a loving and compassionate God. But here's the thing. Hell is the very reason we know that there is a loving and compassionate God. Because this is what Jesus experienced on the cross for our sins. Separation from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That this is how far God was willing to go. This is how far Jesus was willing to go to save us. This is how much he valued, valued us. That Jesus taught more on hell than any of the, all the New Testament writers all combined. And the reason he did that is because he loved us. That he wanted us to warn us of the danger of what it meant to live just for ourselves. And he wanted us to know that God has made another way. That in Jesus, that we have the way, the truth, and the life. We know that God is compassionate because he has made another way. That God could have left the Ninevites in their ignorance and he would have been just to do that. God owes them nothing and they owe him everything. Yet it's in his compassion. God chooses to see them as precious. 
You know, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16. Let me show it to you here. Matthew 16 says this. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? To God, there is nothing more valuable and precious than a soul. That you can have the wealth of Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, Jeff Bezos, you know, Bezos, whatever his name is, Mark Zuckerberg. You can have them all combined. And Jesus is saying that it is nothing compared to the worth of one soul. This is why God is filled with so much compassion. Because our souls are precious to him. That there is no greater delight than for him to see a soul saved. And there is no greater loss than to see a soul not come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is the heart of our God. This is how close he puts his heart to our spiritual condition. We have a compassionate God. Here's the second picture I want to show you. Jonah's lack of compassion. Now, after Jonah preaches this weak sauce sermon and people start repenting, he exits the city, okay, which is a whole different sermon here, okay. But verse 5 says this. Jonah went out to the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth, a tent for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city, okay. So Jonah here sets up a tent. He pulls out a lawn chair, probably sits on a high hill at a safe distance from Nineveh. While the whole time keeping an eye on Nineveh. Now, why is he doing this? It's because Jonah is still hopeful that the city is going to be destroyed. Okay? That even though this is day one and people have repented, there are still 39 more days to go. And Nineveh might fail. They might go back to their old ways. Maybe their repentance is fake. So Jonah sits on top of a hill for 39 days hoping for fireworks to happen. And God here... Like a good father, parents, bratty Jonah here. And he helps him to understand why his heart is so cold to the lost. And it's because of his self-righteousness. You know, God exposes this self-righteousness through a plant here. That is Jonah sitting on a hill in the middle of current day Mosul, Iraq. That's, that's where Nineveh would have been. Temperature there can get as hot as 120 degrees there. So as Jonah is waiting for the destruction of Nineveh, God appoints this leaf to cover over Jonah with shade. And in verse 6 it says that Jonah was exceedingly glad for it. But the next day, God sends a worm and kills the plant. So now that when the sun rises, the sun is blasting on Jonah and there is scorching heat. It's not a pleasant breeze that's coming across Jonah. It is a scorching heat that is coming across him. And I'm not quite sure if Jonah was bald, okay. But if he was, he would have been blistering all over the place here. So Jonah, again here we see, is angry at God again. But this time, he's not angry over the repentance of sinners. He's angry at God because he's a plant killer. That's why he's angry here. And it's in this moment, God teaches his lesson to Jonah. He exposes his heart. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah what self-righteousness said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, for you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, do you love this plant? Yes. 
Did you love the comfort it gave you? Yes. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Did you do anything for it? No. Did you plant it? No. Did you water it? No. Did you make it grow? No. Jonah, you did nothing to deserve this plant. Yet you're angry at me. You're angry at God because you're convinced that you deserve it, that you're grateful for one day for this plant, and now you believe you're entitled for the next 38 days for this plant here? God here is exposing the self-righteousness of Jonah's heart. That Jonah was convinced that God owed him. Because think about it. Look at all that Jonah has done for God here. That he suffered the discipline of being in that big fish. That he's traveled hundreds of miles to obey God. To go into a hard place like Nineveh and preach a hard message of repentance. That as Jonah considers all that he's done for God. All the ways that he's obeyed him. That, that and how he hasn't sinned like the Ninevites have sin, sinned. He's just so impressed with himself. And God obviously must be impressed with him. Can I just say, this is why self-righteousness is a killer of compassion. Because self-righteousness will never, ever put other people first. It will always put ourselves first. So for example, this is why when it came to God's grace in his life, in Jonah's life, he was quick to receive it. But when God gave that same grace to Nineveh, he became angry because he was convinced those guys, they don't deserve it. They're too evil. They're too sinful. They're too messed up. Even though Jonah has run from God. Even though Jonah almost cost the life of these sailors because of his sin. That Jonah here gives a half-hearted sermon. That Jonah right now still has incredible hate for these people and he wants to see them perish. Jonah is horrible in this story. And I would even say that he is more horrible than the Ninevites because Jonah actually knew the difference between his spiritual right and left hand. And he still resented God. He still ran. He was still angry. But isn't it convenient that Jonah turns a blind eye to all of that? That when it comes to his sins, he's quick to be compassionate. But when it comes to others, he brings the hammer. He is cold towards them. Now, what does this mean for us? You know, one of the ways that this practically plays out for Jonah is that our self-righteousness will make us care more about things than people. Let me say this again. Our self-righteousness will make us care more about things than people. For example, Jonah here cares more for the plant and what the plant could do for him than the eternal destinies of the people right in front of him. You know, how many of us struggle in the same way? That we put our comfort before the commission. That we make more about our careers than conversions. That we care more about our reputations than repentance. That we care more about people pleasing than people coming to the Lord in pleasure. That we care more about earthly priorities than kingdom priorities. You know, this past week, I know God really brought this to the front of my heart. That this week obviously was a beautiful week weather-wise in Chicago. And in my little townhome, little area here, all the kids from the block were playing in the driveway. And my oldest son's like, hey, Dad, you know, can I go out and ride my bike around with everyone else? And I said, sure, have fun. And as he was doing that and going outside, I started going backwards into the house. And said, you know what, whoa, 
I actually now have a couple of minutes where I'm free and I can do whatever I want. I, I, I can nap. I can watch some TV here, right? That, you know, I can, I can do all of this. It's been a long day. I'm exhausted. And, and I can already feel God kind of knocking on my heart and saying, hey, Kenson, you, you should really be outside at the very least watching your son. But, you know, but, but, but engage your neighbors here. But I thought to myself, you know, God, it's been a long day, I'm exhausted. You know, I just spent a whole day just living for you. Like, I've been ministering to, to people. And God, you know, it's three kids in the house. It's been nuts here. Or we're a quiet time. I'm an introvert, so I really need this time to recharge. But man, God's spirit brought a tension in my heart that I could not shake. And he led me to the window that faced out to the driveway. And in my heart, I felt the spirit saying this to me. Kenson, look out your window. Do you see all the parents there loving their kids? They don't know me. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a whole different issue. Okay, stay focused on this way. Me being a bad parent is a whole separate issue, okay? Okay? Okay. They don't know me. Look at them. They don't know me. That you're the only salt and light on this block. And you're going to go ahead and hide behind these doors. Are you going to choose comfort over them? Are you going to choose comfort over me? You know, by God's grace, I was able to step outside and engage. But I share this with you because this is what self-righteousness does to our hearts. It puts things, it puts comfort, it puts toys, it puts careers over people. And can I just say that this is self-righteousness that will make us blind to the urgency of people's eternity. That we are so caught up with trivial things, temporary things, that our emotions are more wrapped up over the NBA playoffs, you know, over what LeBron James is doing and all these late game things here, right? Over what happens in our TV shows and the latest movie that comes out. And we care more about these things than the scores of people who don't know Jesus Christ. Who cares who wins the playoffs? Who cares who lives or dies in that TV show or movie? It doesn't matter. What matters are people's eternity. Did you know that in these next 365 days, 20,000 people are going to die in Chicago? Many of them who do not believe in Jesus Christ. That in the next 365 days, 2.4 million Americans will die. Most of them going into an eternity without Christ. That in the next 365 days, 74 million people in the world will die. Many of them without Christ or without hope. Church, there is too much at stake for us to love our comforts. There is too much at stake just to do business as usual. We must be compelled to live out radical compassion for the lost. The need is way too great. And here's the final picture I want to show you guys. It's Jesus' compassion. You know, in Jonah's anger, he totally misses the gospel. That he's fuming over the compassion that God extends to his enemies. But he is blind to the reality that the very compassion that God is saving Nineveh with is the very compassion that saved him. That he should have drowned, but God in compassion saved him through a great fish. That Jonah should be rebuked right now for his tantrum against God. Instead, God continues to speak to him in his meltdown. Did you notice that in chapter 4? Verse 4, the Lord said. Verse 9, God said to Jonah. Verse 10, the Lord said. In compassion, God is being a loving parent to bratty Jonah. 
Don't miss this. Jonah is not the hero in our story. Far from it. And when Jesus interprets this story of Jonah for the religious leaders, he says the exact same thing. Jonah is not the hero here. Let me show you what it says in Matthew 12, 41. Jesus says this. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Church, this something greater is Jesus Christ. That Jesus had a different heart than Jonah. And let me just lay it all out for you here, okay? That Jonah sits outside the city and waits for its destruction. Jesus weeps over the city because he is broken over the lostness of the city. That Jonah preaches a message of condemnation. Jesus preaches a message of costly grace. On the cross, Jesus doesn't pray for the destruction for his enemies. In love, he prays for their forgiveness. Jonah ran from the sin and evil. Jesus ran from heaven into our mess. Jonah was unwilling to go to Nineveh. Jesus came to earth willingly. Jonah would not dwell with the Ninevites. Jesus lives with sinners. Jonah waited for his enemies to be punished. Jesus was punished for us. Jonah was three days in a fish. Jesus was three days in a grave. Jonah waited 40 days to prove that their repentance was fake. Jesus walked the earth for 40 days after his resurrection to prove that salvation was real. Do you guys see? In Jesus, we have a truer, better, and greater Jonah. That it's in Jesus, Jesus gives us a greater compassion. That in compassion, Jesus acts by living the life that we could never live. In compassion, Jesus makes a costly sacrifice by, by dying the death that we deserve. That in compassion, Jesus pursues us while we were still sinners. That in his compassion, he preaches the good news to us so that we who are spiritually blind can now respond to the worth and love that he's given us. It's at the cross we see the ultimate expression of God's compassion for us. And it's found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And friends, it's when we see this grace, it will destroy our self-righteousness because it reminds us that of who the true hero is. That Jonah is not the hero. That we are not the hero. Grace and compassion says that Jesus is the hero. Amen. Amen. So what's a takeaway for us here? I would say this. What we all need to do here is do an honest evaluation of our compassion for the loss. You know, I don't want to encourage you guys, you know, to bring your small group into this for accountability and encouragement. But ask yourself, do I really love and care for those who don't know Jesus? How am I using my time? What is it saying about what I value? Am I making any time with those who don't know Jesus? What does your bank account say? How much am I giving to help send the gospel forth to those in need? Where am I spending all my money? Is it towards my needs or towards the greatest need? Look at your prayer life. What priorities are they revealing? That if you could play your prayers back to yourself, what would it show to be the greatest concern of your heart? What do you keep going back to over and over and over again? Is it for yourself or is it for the lost? Church, we need to ask God to open our eyes. To help us see the desperate condition of our own hearts and those around us. 
that when we see Jonah's cold heart, when we see Jonah's anger, what that meant for Jonah is that he didn't need less of God's grace. He needed more of God's grace. He needed more compassion. He needed to long more for his forgiveness, more than he ever thought he could need. We also need to ask God to free us from the temporary, immediate gratifications that grip our hearts and to have an eternal perspective. We need to ask him to give us a radical compassion that will be ready to go anywhere to make Jesus known. That just like Jonah, God will call us to go. That he will call us to a Nineveh. He will call us to hard places. He will call us to dangerous places. He will call us to places where no one else will want to go. Why? Because that's just how great his compassion is. If you are not a follower of Christ, if I can just say this, the response that you need to have here today is that you need to stop running and go to a compassionate God who calls you to be with him. That's what you need to do. You know, let me just close off our series, you know, with this. You know, in the story of Jonah, it is obvious that Jonah is painfully foolish and stupid here, right? And as you guys read the very last verse here in chapter 4, it is so anticlimactic, you would never make a movie out of this, right? This is like, you know, what happened? And love much cattle? Like, what's going on here, right? And a question I've been thinking about for many weeks now is if Jonah, did he ever really learn his lesson? Did he ever really change? Can I just say, I think he did because of how the story was told. Because think about this. How else could people know the details of the story but except through Jonah? Was there a news reporter inside the belly of the fish to record Jonah's prayer? No, right? Was there someone else on the hill with Jonah? It was just God. There was no one else. What this means is that when Jonah told this story, he knows that he's not the hero. Now, he could have told this story and he could have left out all the embarrassing stuff and just highlighted all the good stuff that happened. That Jonah went to Nineveh. That Jonah preached a few words and everyone repented. Dropped the mic, hashtag best prophet ever. He could have shared that story. But Jonah shares all of it here in these four chapters. That this is why this story doesn't need to have a nice storybook ending for Jonah. Because this story is not about Jonah. This story is about God's relentless pursuit of sinners like us. That it is God who is the one who is compassionate. Compassionate to him, compassionate to the sailors, compassionate to Nineveh, compassionate to the king of Nineveh. Over time, Jonah finally understood what God's grace and compassion meant. Church, if there is hope for him, there is hope for us. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Before I pray for us, I would love to just give you a few moments where you're sitting at and for you to take this time right now to pray for that one, that one person in your life who doesn't know Jesus Christ and to pray that they would come to know him, that they would come to experience the joy and satisfaction that you find in having a relationship with him, that you love them because God loves them, that God is compassionate for them. So. Would you just spend just a few moments where you're sitting at just to pray for them and to plead on their behalf before God? And then I'll close this in prayer.